covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you in to another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name's Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in with us. The final edition of the program where there are still regular season games remaining. As we always tell you, we record the show on Sunday evenings. So coming up next week, that'll be October 1st, and that will be the day of the final regular season game of the year. Of course, they could still be playing postseason games, and we're hopeful that we'll be able to talk about that. But uh, in a very technical kind of way, this is the uh, final regular season edition of Brewers Extra, and he's the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. A couple housekeeping things to take care of before we get to the bulk of the program. First and foremost, always appreciate everybody who listens to the program, no matter how you listen to the program. Perhaps you just head to WTMJ.com and go to the uh, WTMJ Mobile tab and listen from there. If you do that, that's great. Uh, Just so you know, you can listen to it uh, on any of the podcasting platforms, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, whatever it might be. And if you do listen on uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, would really appreciate uh, you leaving a uh, review of the program. That helps us out and helps it get out to uh, a few more people out there going up the ranking. So that's always good. Uh, So if you can do that, I'd appreciate it. If not, I'm just glad you're here to uh, be able to uh, to listen. If you ever want uh, to give me any feedback on the program, whether it's in response to something that we're talking about, or if you just want to get at me for some reason, feel free to tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air is the Twitter handle. That actually changed here over the last couple weeks, so uh, Matt Pauley on air is now the Twitter handle if you want to go check that out. Appreciate everybody who follows me on Twitter. Uh, please follow me, but if you don't and you still want to tweet at me, that's uh, that's all right, and uh, we'll still be okay, and I'll still tweet back at you even if uh, you don't follow me, You don't, but I appreciate the follows. Here's what we have coming up on the program uh, today. We are going to be uh, joined by a couple of our favorite guests. I say that every week because all of our guests are our favorite guests, not that... I'm taking anything away from anybody, but uh, Jack Moore is going to be on the program today. You can read him uh, at the Hardball Times uh, in The Guardian and also uh, at BP Milwaukee. So he's going to join us in our social media conversation coming up in uh, just a few moments. And we are also going to be joined by Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. Uh, This is something that you're going to hear a lot of Brad over the next few weeks because we are doing a full minor league recap. And as opposed to trying to uh, stuff that into one single episode, we're going to do that over the course of uh, three episodes. So today we're going to talk about the short season teams. Next week we'll talk about the uh, single A teams, low A Wisconsin, high A Carolina, and then we'll hit double A and triple A in a couple weeks. So a a three-part conversation with Brad Ford and part one of that conversation conversation begins today. What a weekend it was between the Brewers and the Cubs. Not a good weekend in the sense that the Brewers lose three out of four. You kind of went into it saying the Brewers really needed to probably sweep, at the very least take three out of four if they wanted to stay in a run for the division. I think that's off the table now. Again, we're recording this on Sunday night. Who knows what happens moving forward, but while not yet mathematically eliminated from the division title, they are very unlikely to win the division title. The wild card's a different story. As we talk on Sunday night, the Brewers are sitting two games back of the Rockies for the wild card. Now, it's not going to be easy. At, at this point, if you're the Brewers, you 
probably the best case scenario, the most likely scenario for trying to go grab that second wild card would probably be the Brewers going five and one and the Rockies going three and three, but you got to pick up two games in the final six games against the Rockies. That's not easy. And uh, that's just getting you tied where you would then play game 163. That's not even grabbing the actual wild card. And don't forget about the Cardinals, who on Sunday night are just a half game back of the Brewers and two and a half back of the Rockies. And uh, they will play on Monday while the Brewers will not play. So they have an opportunity to gain some ground while the Brewers don't play. So it's looking somewhat bleak for the Brewers to make it into the postseason, but it's not yet out of the realm of possibility. And that's the most important thing. And we've talked about the resiliency of this team all season long. And that resiliency never was brighter than what we saw on Saturday. This team in the last week suffered some excruciating losses, including 10 inning losses on both Thursday and Friday to the Cubs. And even though it was the only win of a four-game series against the Cubs on Saturday, my goodness, what a win it was. Where the Brewers are down in the ninth inning, and Orlando Arcia ties it up with a home run, and then they're down again in the 10th inning, and Travis Shaw hits a two-run walk-off home run. That just shows the resiliency of this team after what they had been in on, not just those two games before against the Cubs, but that final game against the Pirates series uh, was a, was an excruciating loss as well. We don't know what's going to happen. This has been a fun ride, and I know it's been you know, enjoyable is kind of an interesting word to use because I'll tell you what, there were those first three games during the, the uh, Cubs series, I don't know if enjoyable was the word because there was so much drama and so much stress and you're sitting there at the edge of your seat, but when you get done with it, it's fun and it's good and it's great and it evokes emotion and uh, that's what that's what sports is all about and that's what we're seeing with the Brewers. So it's been fun. They still have one more week to go. An opportunity to win the wild card, Craig Council said after the game on Sunday, that if they take care of business, they feel like they're going to get into the wild card. And, or he said that they'll be all right. He didn't use those exact terms. I don't want to misquote the guy, but uh, you get the sense the Brewers are going to play three at home against the Reds, and then they're going to go on the road and wrap up the series with three in St. Louis. As far as the Rockies go, they're going to finish out uh, their season. They will play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday against Miami at home, and then they will play Friday, Saturday, Sunday at home against the Dodgers. And I think if there's any time that that long losing streak for the Dodgers might actually help the Brewers, this might be it. Because most teams with the record that the Dodgers have would go into that final weekend just setting themselves up for the postseason. But the fact that the Dodgers have lost so many games recently, they probably want to be at their best going into the postseason. All right, on this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, Jack Moore joins us in just a few minutes in our social media conversation. Brad Ford after that as we go down on the farm. But first, it's time to take a look at this week's headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. Well, we might have seen the last of Manny Pena for the year. He has a left thumb injury. It's a uh, it's a thumb sprain, and he has been out for a while. He injured himself 
uh, during the loss on Friday night to the Cubs when trying to tag Anthony Rizzo at home plate. Manny Pena was asked by uh, the collective media and quoted by uh, MLB.com's Adam McAlvey on whether or not uh, he would be able to play again this season. He said, quote, We'll see. If I can catch, I'll play. If it bothers me hitting, I don't worry too much. But if catching is fine, I'll play. If it doesn't bother me catching, I'm going to be. I'm going to play because of the position we're in. I want to try. It doesn't sound overly promising that he will be able to get back into the lineup, but you appreciate how badly he wants to play and what's just been a great season for him as he move, has moved into the starting catcher position with the Brewers. Jimmy Nelson rejoined the team this week. He is wearing a sling. He's coming off a shoulder surgery. All the Brewers would say is that he is going to be out for at least a chunk of next season. Uh, they uh, need to wait for some of the healing to really get started for them to even see what the what it's going to look like in terms of a timeline on uh, how long rehab's going to go. But Jimmy Nelson is going to miss a fair amount of next season. Mentioned the Cubs series. They lose three out of four, but still in the hunt for the wild card. As we record this on Sunday night, the Brewers are two games back of the Rockies. The Cardinals are two and a half games back of the Rockies for that second wild card. With uh, just a week left to play, it is absolutely going to be a fun week to watch the Brewers. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for a social media conversation. Very happy to welcome back onto the program Jack Moore. You can read him uh, at Hardball Times, The Guardian, and also over at BP Milwaukee. Follow him on Twitter at JH underscore Moore. Moore with two O's, so M-O-O-R-E. Jack, always great to talk to you. How are you doing today? Yeah, other than the results of today's game, I'm doing pretty well. We record on Sunday night, so this is uh, following the Brewers' uh, loss to the Cubs, the one game of the four-game series that was a little bit uh, closer to being lopsided, although it was a one nothing game for, for quite some time. What's uh, Just very generally speaking, what's your takeaway out of this uh, four-game Cubs series where three of the games go to extra innings, the Brewers get the dramatic uh, win on Saturday with the Travis Shaw walk-off home run, uh, but at the end of the day, the Brewers do lose three out of four? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any way to look at the pitching matchups and the lineups that these two teams are putting out there and say that the Brewers had more talent on the field. Unfortunately, it's just not where the two teams are at in their competitive cycles, if you will. And this Cubs team, as much as they struggled out of the gate, it's still really, really good. And the fact that the Brewers were able to keep this, these games competitive in games that meant really everything to that team, I think is a really good sign for this club going forward. And the one win that they did pick up, thanks to the struggles that the Rockies have been going through, those keep the Brewers alive in the National League. Like that, if the Brewers don't get that home run from Travis Shaw on Saturday, they're probably done. But as is, they've got a shot. It's not a great one, but they've got a shot. It's kind of funny when you look at the second wild card because you look at the Brewers, you look at the Rockies, and you look at the Cardinals. You look at three teams that have many flaws, three teams that that are not right now really doing anything to go grab the wild card, yet it's also creating a a pretty interesting race down the stretch, uh, and and it's kind of a byproduct of these teams not being especially amazingly good teams, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's um, one of the unfortunate things that I think people predicted when the second wild card was at. There are definitely some seasons where you see, you know, there's really not that big a difference between the fourth and the fifth best team in each league, right? But I think this is the case where you see, you look at uh, the difference between Arizona and the three teams that are in running for the, the second wild card, and that's a pretty big uh, difference. And actually, I think you see the same thing in the American League, too, with the Yankees compared to the Twins, Angels. Well, the Twins pretty much have the second wild card locked up, but even the uh, teams that were chasing them. It's it's you know it's also a byproduct of you have so it's so top heavy where you've got teams like the Dodgers and the Nationals that just have these incredible records because they're getting so many wins. Here you have teams that you know the Brewers are above 500 but they're not they're they're not way past 500. You've got, you know, teams that are in the vicinity of 500 uh jockeying for a playoff spot. Yeah, and I think one of the other interesting things about that is that all of these teams, well, the Brewers and Rockies in the National League especially, and the Twins in the American League, these are all teams that were not really expected to be competitive just yet. And when you look at what they did at the trade deadline, uh, they made some small moves, right, especially even um, looking at the post-order period. But they didn't make the big kind of go-for-it deals that you would expect uh, maybe a team that was a little later in the competitive cycle. And so you don't see that these teams have you know, sacrificed the future to make a run at this season. And even though they haven't, they're still in the race because um, all their competitors are kind of thinking similarly, it seems. I have to kind of chuckle because people who have watched this team all season long has seen a team that has struggled with runners in scoring position, have created a lot of runs on home runs, and now all of a sudden as we're in September and maybe some media members, some fans are starting to pay a little bit more attention, you see all these you know crazy tweets about how uh, you know this team strikes out too much and you know you can't just swing for the fences all the time what do, do you kind of get a do you, do you have to chuckle at that that you know the the dna that has existed with this team all season long that uh continues to exist all of a sudden because these games matter that much more people are kind of taking issue even more issue with those things hmm. yeah i mean absolutely i think you can also turn that on its head and say the only reason that this first team even close to contending is because they have what eight players with that double digit home run yeah. and if Eric Thames and Travis Shaw over Travis Shaw over thirty, maybe Santana could very well get there. And I think that sometimes it's just kind of how how it crumbles. You got to play to your strengths. And I think if this team wasn't swinging for the fences, they would probably have similar troubles getting on base. I don't think that these are the kinds of hitters who are going to benefit from that kind of philosophy. It would be one thing if you had a bunch of guys with warning track power and they were swinging for the fences constantly, but if Look at this lineup. That's not who the Brewers are playing. And the one win that they get in that Cubs series is almost—it's because of pitching and it's because of home runs. Yeah, even Orlando Arcia chipping in and watching his growth this season has really been amazing. Fifteen home runs for him is just downright uh, shocking, honestly. It seems like he's hit a little bit of a wall. We're, we're seeing him have some days off when Eric Sogard's over at shortstop, and that's to be expected. I mean, he's never been asked to play this deep into a season in games that matter. Even last year, you know, it was his first time playing this deep into a year, and uh, we know what the Brewers were last season. Is, is there any added importance to him maybe building off that home run from Saturday and having at least a good final week of the regular season to kind of help him uh, have some success in September? 
Yeah, I think that would be great. And I also think that the Brewers could very well need his defense down the stretch if they want to win. Because, um, you know, on, in these games where they know that they have to rely on their their power hitting in order to win, I mean, the defense is going to have to really be on point. And it's going to have, they're not going to be able to uh, afford to get down early because of a couple of misplays or something like that. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Another one of the young guys who's having a huge impact down the stretch is Brett Phillips, and he's doing it with his glove, and he's doing it with his bat. He's getting the starts in center field more often not uh, when when right-handed pitchers are, are on the mound. Did A lot of people were high on Brett Phillips coming up through the big leagues, but did you have any expectation that he'd be impacting the Brewers the way he is here in the final month? Well, I need to exceed my expectations, that's for sure, but I think it is important to remember as as much as Domingo Santana and Josh Hader have impressed, Phillips was the centerpiece of that trade. Like, he was the big deal when the Brewers acquired um, those four players from the Astros in the uh, Carlos Gomez and Mike Fires deal. Uh, I think it's. I think it was actually pretty clear that Phillips was the centerpiece of that trade. And so, yeah, he might be a little early, but especially with what you said about him doing it with a bat, with a glove, with his leg, the whole thing. That part is not surprising to me because that's the kind of player that was advertised when that trade was made. We're talking with uh, Jack Moore from uh, Hardball Times, The Guardian, and also uh, BP Milwaukee here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. There's been a lot made of the pitching for the Brewers, and uh, you actually had a recent piece about going forward without Jimmy Nelson, and we'll get to that more in a moment. But just mm-hmm. as it sits right now where the the starting pitching has evolved, you really only have four guys that are going every fifth day, and that fifth spot is either a bullpen game or kind of an experiment like they had with Aaron Wilkerson. Have you been impressed the with the results the Brewers have been able to get out of their pitching? I have, and I have also really, really liked the creativity that Craig Johnson has employed. Um, I think you can argue that he's made some mistakes in the back end of the bullpen, but I really think what he's been doing with these bullpen days, especially considering the lack of experience that is in, I guess, both the rotation and the bullpen right now, to be able to cobble that kind of stuff together, I think it's really impressive for both uh, Council's perspective and from the player's perspective. Um, because, it, yeah, it would be super easy to crumble uh, with Nelson out, but really if they'd lost anybody because uh, the bullpen that has been working really hard all season long, obviously the 40-man September roster helps. But, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been super impressed by how they have handled uh, the adversity down the stretch. Is it a credit to, to David Stearns and the organization that they have fostered this environment where Craig Council is allowed to think outside the box when, quite honestly, I don't think many Major League Baseball teams would be doing this, especially the ones that have more old-school-type baseball uh, organizations? Yeah, for sure, especially the use of Josh Hader in particular because I think a lot of organizations would have been tempted to either uh, start him in the rotation and leave him there and maybe shut him down in September, which would have been disastrous for this team's competitiveness, right? Um, or they would have just not called him up and not used him. And I think the way that the Brewers have been using him uh, to manage to get the most out of the innings that are available this year, all while allowing him to develop at the major league level and get some really, really amazing performance out of him, um, yeah, I don't think a lot of teams would do it. You know what it reminds me of is the 2008 uh, Tampa Bay Rays World Series run when they put David Price in the in the bullpen and had him throwing an inning or two at a time. Again, you know, you got a flame throwing left hander, right? So the um, the analogy is even better. So 
I think it's I think it's been a brilliant decision by both Stearns and Council, and I hope they continue to be as progressive uh, in the future. There's there's been a little bit of conversation. It's kind of funny because when he first came up and he was in the bullpen, everybody was yelling, "Get him in the rotation! Get him in the rotation!" And now all of a sudden that conversation has turned a little bit, and some people are saying, "Okay, would this guy be more suited to be a relief pitcher going forward and not a starter?" Do you still see his future absolutely as a starter? The only way I would say that haters should stay in the bullpen is if they are really willing to go at this multi-inning fireman type reliever thing hard. Let him throw two, three innings at a time. Let him throw 120 to 140 innings in a season out of the rotation or out of the bullpen. I think that is an extremely valuable player type that hasn't really been explored in the major leagues because of the save rule for one and just how, um, tied to tradition and loss averse that major league managers and general managers are. And so that's the only scenario where I would see it. If they're going to turn him into a one-inning or leaguer, no, absolutely not. I want to see how he does in the rotation before we have that happen. I was living for in Colorado for a number of years, and at one point uh, when Dan O'Dowd was still the general manager in Colorado, the Rockies experimented with something where they went with a four-man rotation, but guys were never allowed to throw more than 75 pitches. Uh, I I personally didn't like that because I always thought you you lowered the competitive nature that if a guy got blown up in the first inning, you know he could no longer have that attitude of okay, let me at least give my team five because once he got to seventy five, he was done. But do you like some some version of that where a team does not go away from it as soon as the Rockies went away from it a number of years ago? Yeah, well, I dislike the kind of hard and fast rule that you mentioned there. Like, especially if the other team knows that you're never going to leave your starter in past 75 pitches and you're going against their, their best starting pitcher, you just send up everybody up there taking and you exhaust that pitch count and then you, you get to the bullpen. Um, so I don't think that's a, a good approach. There's an interesting idea mentioned in, um, the book, which is, uh, I think a seminal sabermetric uh, text, if you will, that came out, I want to say in the early 2000s. And the idea that they suggested in there is, say you have a team that has three good to very good starting pitchers, and then the fourth and fifth are uh, not so much. And this works even better in the National League where you can pitch hit, um, is that you you know send your first three starters out on a normal rotation, right? Uh, the fourth, and then for the fourth day, you use... Um, your fourth and fifth pitchers piggybacking and you pinch hit for them as soon as their uh, roster spots come up every time you pinch hit. And so that allows you to keep your bullpen fresh by using three starters as you normally would, and then you have those two other guys who are able to, and, you know, if they're on a roll that day, you let them stay in. Uh, or if you build a big lead and you don't need to pinch hit, right? Mm-hmm. And, but you need to be a little more flexible than the Rockies idea, I believe. But I do think there's something to be said for you know, you don't want your fourth and fifth pitchers facing the second, the third time through, definitely. And the second time through even is a little bit iffy for some of these guys that are at the bottom of major league rotations. I want to avoid that. I think it's great. It, it would take a very innovative uh, entire baseball operations department, though, to ever even consider going to that, though, right? Yeah, I think so. But 60% of your games are going to be just like normal. So I really don't think it should be as big of an obstacle as it is, but I know that, like I said, major league general managers and managers are very loss-averse, risk-averse, 
and you would be hammered in the media if, even if it worked for half the season, if it if it stops working in the second half, you're just going to get destroyed. And you have to be willing to take that if you're going to try that. And I don't know how many organizations are. And the the problem I would see is that first time one of your three starters blows up in the first or second inning and all of a sudden that becomes another bullpen day and you get you get really mm-hmm. behind maybe that comes after a day that one of your other starters only goes 5 and you're you know you you start losing games because of it it's the, that's the downfall right. to what you're saying is it, it wouldn't take much going wrong for the whole system to kind of blow up for a short period uh, yep absolutely and that's the thing is you'd have to be willing to go through that and i certainly don't think teams that are naturally already in the competitive cycle, um, I don't think they would be willing to do that. But if you're a team that is kind of either stuck in the wheel of mediocrity or just on the cusp of starting to make a run, I think it's something that you should look into because at that point, what do you actually have to lose? We are talking with uh, Jack Moore. Interesting stuff. Wasn't planning on going down that route, but I'm glad uh, mm-hmm. that I'm glad that we did. I, I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago. and And I think Craig Council has been just managing his butt off the way he's been trying to use pinch hitters and the different lineups for righties and lefties. And uh, a lot of stuff has gone right for him, but also some things have not gone right for him. I think he's putting his all into this. Some After some of these games, you just look at him, and he looks like he's been through a 10-round fight, and I, I appreciate that. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm generally a fan of Craig Council, so let me put that in front of it. But you did mention that maybe there's some things on the back end of the bullpen that he's not managing correctly. What issues would you take with him recently? Well, I mean, the thing that I think has been argued would be, you know, letting Corey Knable pitch multiple innings when he's been going on four out of five days. And uh, the one decision that I think, can't remember if this was Thursday's game or Friday's game, but there was a, a situation where he put, he walked the bases loaded in the ninth inning. And I just really don't think that was worth it. Uh, he walked Ben Zobers to load the bases when Ben Zobers was done struggling. I know he did hit that booming home run today but he had been struggling really, really terribly at that point. And so I really don't, and I really think that walk ended up hurting the Brewers. So that's the big one. Um, I think, by and large, Council has done a fantastic job. I'm, I'm always a believer that the best managers are the ones that lose you the fewest amount of games. I don't think managers win you games very often, but a manager can lose you a game. I don't think Council loses his team many many games. Would that that entire statement that I just said? Would you agree or would you disagree with that? No, I'm with you on that. I'm with you 100. percent Let's uh, get to one of your pieces and encourage people to uh, to read uh, read what you have again. Uh, Hardball Times, uh, the Guardian, BP Milwaukee. If people follow you on Twitter at jh underscore more, uh, they can always see uh, your most recent piece. But we alluded to it a moment uh, a moment ago. Jimmy Nelson. Uh, the team has to go forward without him, not just for the rest of this season, but for a, a good chunk of next year. And we don't have an exact number, but it seems like all-star break or so might be what people are, are shooting for. We've seen the team play for a while without Jimmy Nelson, and obviously it's having an impact on it. Uh, wh- what's your takeaway on, on what this team has to do for the next week and then going into next year not having Jimmy Nelson? Yeah, and when I wrote that piece, the news that the injury was so serious that it was going to take him in the next year was not out yet. Uh, and that's that's really unfortunate because um, I think the Brews have been able to handle his absence in September in large part because of the 40-man September roster and the extended bullpen that you get out of that. 
And I think uh, it's going to put a real strain on the Brewers' bullpen next year because I think they're going to struggle to find those uh, find as many innings as Nelson was able to give them, much less at that level of effectiveness. I honestly think that was one of the biggest deals about um, Nelson's season this year was that you could rely on him for six, seven innings. When um, Even when Chase Anderson was on his hot streak, he had some starts that ended before he completed six innings, you know? So uh, I think that's going to be the hardest part. I think they can, they can cobble it together for this next week. Uh, I honestly think having a couple of bullpen games down the stretch is not that big of a problem for the Brewers because their bullpen is, is it's pretty good. And I think avoiding having pitchers go multiple times through, through the lineup is actually a big help whenever you can afford to do that. But yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to start uh, 2018 for sure because you, you, there's nobody in the organization who you can count on to get that kind of performance. Even Josh Hader is probably the best answer, and there's no guarantee that he's going to translate to the rotation as much as I like to believe that he will. Monday is an off day, so that presents a situation where the team will just need that fifth starter one more day. Obviously, we look at that as a bullpen game. We've seen Aaron Wilkerson get the start. I don't get the sense that he'll get that start again. Junior Guerra has pitched a little bit better recently. Uh, it all, A lot of it depends on what happens the day or two before that game, but all things being equal, who would you like to see as that first pitcher, that quote-unquote starter, uh, for what will probably be the final bullpen game? I would probably start Wilkerson and hope that he gets up in the second inning so I could pinch hit for him and then go to Guerra after that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I just think that you want when you're in that bullpen game, you want to pinch hit whenever you can, especially when you have all these pitchers available. So um, I think if you want to roll the dice, you hope that you get nine batters up in the first two innings. Do you- to him. Even if, if you want to really play it, um, play it a little... Wild, that's pitcher ace and then pinch hit. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. That's never going to happen, I don't think. But uh, you know, no, I don't it, either. It would be, you know, there's. I understand, you know, the Larusa started doing the batting the pitcher eighth thing because he always wanted to get Pujols up in the first inning, but then he wanted Pujols to serve as the cleanup hitter after that. And that mm-hmm. was, you know, that variation or kind of that agenda is what still prompts the pitcher occasionally batting eighth, this would be a different reason why. This would be to get mm-hmm. that pitcher up sooner to be able to pinch for hit for him. That would be a different takeaway on it. Yeah, and I can totally understand why they wouldn't do it, but that would that would be my idea to kind of grab a couple of extra percent of win probability if I could. Well, Jack, great stuff. This was a fun conversation. I wasn't expecting to go down the route we did, but I always enjoy conversations like these, especially... I'm not. Uh, I'm. I appreciate the advanced numbers. I'm not as into them as other people are, but I always enjoy mm-hmm. hearing people's take on them. So that was fun for me. Thanks so much for taking awesome, uh, some I time. It. Yeah, you bet. And uh, remind folks to uh, read you over at uh, the Hardball Times uh, in the Guardian and also BP Milwaukee. Follow you on Twitter at jh underscore more. Jack, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue. My name is Matt Pauley, and uh, joined by somebody that we've had on a lot this year, and he's certainly a great asset to us because uh, he follows the entire Brewers minor league system uh, as close or closer than just about anybody out there. 
And uh, this is actually going to be somewhat of a, an extended conversation here as the minor league season has wrapped up over the last couple weeks. We saw the Colorado Springs Sky Sox as the last remaining team playing, and they got knocked out in the first round of the postseason. We're going to do a pretty thorough review of this year's minor league system, so we're going to have Brad on here over the uh, course of the next few programs. But uh, Brad Ford does join us. You can follow him on Twitter at BrewCrewBlue. Brad, it's always great to have you on the program. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and uh, you know, always great to be on the program. Let's uh, let's start before we jump into uh, all the minor league stuff. Uh, you're, you're doing a little bit more with the big league team now, and I saw that you wrote the uh, recap uh, over at uh, Brew Crew Ball for uh, Sunday's tough game for the Brewers. Uh, the Padres uh, lose today. The Rockies win. So right now, with six to go for the Brewers, they're sitting two games back of the wild card. What's your confidence level out right now that the Brewers can go on some sort of run over the next six games and somehow, some way, uh, sneak into maybe a, a game one sixty three for that second wild card? My confidence level would be substantially higher if the Cardinals weren't in the way. Um, being a fan who was born after 82 um, and really grew up in most of the National League run for the Brewers since they transitioned leagues, uh, I know how much of a pain in the side the Cardinals have been, especially over the last, um, we'll say, 10 years. So for the Cardinals to be one of the last teams standing, uh, I mean, the Reds I worry less about, but that I, it's just a really hard series, um, especially to, they just always screw the Brewers over. <laughs> They're always the ones who ruin the day. And I can, you know, I'm just one of those fans who's just ready to see it go the other way again. I'm hopeful. I'm more optimistic than I sound. But if I'm giving honest analysis of what the innermost me is thinking right now, I'm not super confident. I'm just hoping it's going to be a fun ride. And hopefully, if we don't make it in, the Cardinals don't either. And no matter what, it has been a good ride. I think that's something that maybe you know a week ago, there's especially after that uh, when when the Brewers got maybe more than a week ago when the Brewers got swept by the Reds, I kind of felt like the Brewers fan base was going to an angry spot. Now is maybe it's looking like the Brewers have a. It's going to be a tough, tough road for them to make it in the postseason. I sense Brewers, uh, Brewers fans are more getting on the train of you know really realizing that this has been quite the run this year. Yeah, and I think that's where everyone should be. Right? I mean, it's disappointing to be as far as the Brewers were in first place come the All Star break, and now to probably be looking at a situation where you don't even make the playoffs. That's hard for any fan base, and Wisconsin fans especially have had it pretty hard over the last five or so years. Um, but, I mean, I've seen a lot of fans come more come over to the side of appreciation, I think, as the playoff hopes become more of a distant reality. And I think that's where you should be. You should really appreciate that right now, pretty, like, very quickly, after really only two years of awful teams, the Brewers have a fun team that you can watch, enjoy, they have a lot of spirit, they have a lot of energy, they get behind each other, and just to have a fun team playing really entertaining baseball right now is awesome to have, and that's something everyone should appreciate. 
All right, let's jump in, and here's what we're going to do for people who uh, listen each week. We're going to do three conversations with Brad looking back at the various uh, minor league teams. So our first conversation is going to uh, lock in on the short season teams with uh, both Helena and then in Arizona. Then we'll go to the two single-A teams at high A and low A uh, in our next program with Carolina and Wisconsin, and we'll wrap up with uh, the two upper-level teams at Colorado Springs and Biloxi in our third and final uh, conversation as we recap uh, the minor league system. So let's start at Arizona as uh, the Brewers affiliate uh, this year in the Arizona League. They have a pretty successful season. They finish with a record of 33-23. and 23. They go to the postseason and uh, they get knocked out there. It's a one-game playoff series essentially and they get knocked out uh, by the Cubs, I believe. Brad, real generally, the Arizona League's a weird league because you're playing at the spring training complexes it's not there's not the normal hoopla that goes along with minor league baseball it almost feels like it's instructs what do you take away from from these games that almost feel like they're non-competitive but that like other minor leagues technically they do count well i think it's easier to take something away from them earlier in their season so they're half season week but the problem is by the time you get to that late season and they're playoff runs, their one-game playoff runs, it's really hard to get anything from it in player performance because, for the most part, they're bare-bones by that point because they're moving the players who have showed had good showings up. So, like, Arizona started out with Keston Hira, Tristan Lux, um, Kenny Corey, and this real solid group of players who were carrying them, and then they all leave and go up to Helena or Wisconsin, and they're left with bare bones, along with players um, who were on minor league rehab assignments, like Tyrone Taylor. Uh, you had Yadiel Rivera there for a while. Uh, the other thing that's really hard, it's, I mean, it tends to be an offensive slugfest because these pitchers are only throwing two or three innings. Uh, some of the more developed ones may might get to five innings, but no one's going over five innings. So it's really hard to evaluate how they're doing, but it's, like I said, especially once all the good players leave and there's no one left to watch, um, it, I mean, there's nothing to really take from it. Let's go through some of the guys, and I want to start with someone who's maybe he's more interesting because of kind of what he represents, and that is uh, Yison Coca. He's a guy, he was the player to be named later in the Tyler Thornburg trade, which is still just an incredible trade when you consider everything uh, that the Brewers got, and then there was still a player to be named later after everybody came in. So Coco was okay, two thirty-eight hitter in thirty-four games uh, there with the uh, with the Maryville Brewers. What was your takeaway on him? So, I mean, he's a really excited player who you know is kind of in the same build with a little less speed as Mauricio Dubon. He's a very versatile infielder. Um, I believe that he's supposed to develop more pop. But what's really interesting about him is when he first came over, Adam McCallity talked to Jim Callis, and McCallister was told that Coca was actually the player outside of the top 30 at that point. Um, he actually had, it's kind of hard to judge his season because he was on and off the field with injury issues, uh, along with fighting for playing time outside of very crowded infield. So uh, he started out very hot, and actually his first few games was sitting well over 300. Um, 
but I mean, for what he was for what he went through, he put together a pretty good season. You know, not a lot of power yet, but he's only eighteen, and those middle infielders tend to take a little bit longer to develop the muscle, develop the frame, to start getting the ball out to the gap. So, but he was still able to show a little bit of his speed, um, but kind of disappointing in terms of excitement, knowing that he's just a, almost a top thirty prospect. Uh, but still. He should be an exciting one to follow, and those injuries really hampered him this year. So if he comes back completely healthy next year, he should be a really interesting player that just shows the what feels like unlimited depth of the Brewers' farm system. Phil Bickford came over last year in a trade deadline deal, and very disappointing season for him because of a drug suspension. He eventually comes back. There's still a lot of optimism about him. He looked pretty good in Arizona, pitching in six games to a 2.12 ERA. How do you evaluate this guy's season when he misses so much of it because of a of a bad decision, but then puts up good numbers once he does get on the field? Well, and then on top of the suspension, he had a broken hand that he had to that he had while serving his suspension that delayed him out even longer. Um, it was kind of nice. Really, you have to trust what you hear from scouts on Bigford because he's an older player playing against lesser competition. You're playing against uh, bats who were, went undrafted, um, young players, anywhere from 17 to 19. Um, and like I said, that the competition goes away after a while. He still ended up with a pretty solid uh, innings to strikeout ratio at 17 to 6, had a 212 ERA. But was most satisfying was he got his velocity back up in the middle 90s, which one of the things when he came over from San Francisco, he was supposed to be this 97-mile-per-hour flamethrower uh, who could really work uh, each side of the plate with his fastball and had a monster-breaking ball. But when you watched him at Len Brevard County, he didn't show that. He was low 90s, actually was hovering high 80s with his fastball for a while, came back from his injury slash suspension, and then was hovering high 80s, low 90s again. So the best thing for Bickford is that he was getting his philosophy back. And he probably needed that rest because, I mean, we've seen a lot where philosophy drops tend to signify that an injury is coming. So maybe that harassed, or that long rest kept something better, worse from happening. So it's kind of those bad things that ends up being a good thing scenario. He should be in A-ball, maybe Carolina for a few games. If he performs well next year, then go to Double A and join the people he was developing with last year. So it's just kind of a recovery season for him more than anything. A guy that uh, that I love and has absolutely nothing to do with what he's done on the baseball field because it's tough to follow these guys. But uh, his picture on MLB Pipeline, he just looks like he is going to be a monster, is Javon Ward. And uh, he plays in 32 games at Arizona, 276 hitter. He doesn't have any home runs, which is bad because that picture looks like he would just be an absolute masher. So he's got to hit more home runs to, to match his picture. But I, I say that all kind of jokingly, but I know a lot of people are legitimately excited about what Ward could turn into. Right. Um, I mean, he was one of the players. He was drafted after the 10th round, I believe at 12. And he kind of surprised me that MLB Pipeline was so high on him that they put him in the top 30. Um, he, When you read his scouting reports, 
they said this is a guy who should have everything. It's he the picture, Brad. It's the like picture. Player. Yeah, it's the picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The picture. <laughs> but like, even when you watch him on the field, like he he looks his swing looks powerful. He is fast, but he couldn't really put it together. So what's really nice to see is what those scouting reports saying. He didn't really demonstrate a lot of those tools on the field. You're actually seeing him start to have contact in a higher batting average. Uh, his slugging percentage it can kind of be ignored for right now because what you want from him is this is a kid who just went through a growth spurt, really. Um, I believe they were saying he gained like two inches every year since freshman year. So he's still kind of learning how to manage to picture him that's like six foot five and this towering 18-year-old. So you want him to start to learn contact then eventually that huge frame will be taught to create leverage and really jack the ball out. So he's a guy that people should watch closely. Um, and like I said, as he goes through instructs and really gets his eye um, coordination down, hand-eye coordination, and then he'll be able to start working on that leverage. And, <laughs> I mean, you look at a six foot five guy who looks like he can bench me already at 18, uh, you'd hope he's a pretty good power hitter when things come through. Caden Lemons was an absolute darling of, of folks like you uh, and, and the rest of the people out there on social media when he gets uh, drafted. He doesn't really pitch enough at Arizona to, to truly evaluate him. Um, just three appearances, two and two-thirds innings, so we're, we can't really look at those numbers and make any assessments on him. How do you assess him? So, again, this is a Phil Bickford situation where you you make connections with scouts, uh, whether it's you actually have a connection with them or you're just following them on Twitter and they tweet out a lot of information and they are on the Arizona League campus. Uh With Caden Lemons, it's one of those situations, again, where you watch and see what they're sharing, especially velocity, because Caden Lemons is one of those kids who's like Bickford who hovers mid-90s for the reason that Brewers picked him as high as they did in the second round is because he was hitting 98-99. So, Lemons, I feel like his limitation, I think that he either has a huge mechanical flaw that they really wanted to work on before he got out there, which was something you actually saw um, in a lot of the scouting reports, was he had an inconsistent front foot and where he landed, especially how you turn it. And how you land with your front foot kind of determines how you can follow through with your hip turn. And your hip turn is what's helped, one of the biggest parts of helping generate velocity outside of your arm. So I think they were working on that, and that's why you saw him also not sign for a huge bonus compared to a lot of high schoolers in the second round. Um, but, yeah, it's one of those things where you just have to look at what the scout said. And they said his velocity was pretty good. Mid-90s, nothing too disappointing. I think he did have one very short appearance where he was throwing a little softer. That was his first time back or actually playing a professional game. So it's a learning situation. And next year he'll probably repeat at Arizona and hopefully have a much better performance. Brendan Murphy is the number 27 prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. Fastball, curveball, changeup guy reportedly is working on a slider. Is his ability to throw so many different pitches, is that one of his major strengths? Yes, and he actually has, for his age, being a high schooler coming into pro league, pretty good control of it all. 
However, for a guy with so many pitches, he barely got results on the field. Um, only or he really, I don't think, got a strikeout till third or fourth appearance. Um, but he's one of those guys where he has a deep arsenal and really controls it all pretty well. When you have someone who has four pitches that are at least average, everyone can throw four pitches, right? Like, yeah, I can throw four pitches. I can go out there and say I have a fastball, curveball, slider, changeup. But if none of them are quality, it doesn't matter. The difference is, whereas, like, a Phil Pickford throws three pitches. Only two of them are average or above. Brendan Murphy has four pitches that are average. So he has a great tool set. That's what makes him such an attractive prospect to watch. That's why he gets high ranking coming out of the fourth round because he'll show that control and he can really keep serious off balance. Um, I thought because of that advanced control, he'd come out and really dominate Arizona League. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But again, he's just a kid coming into Pro Bowl, and I'm sure after a full year of working with Brewers trainers and working on his mechanics, that he'll have a good showing in Arizona League, too, because high school kids can't deal with four different pitches coming from one person. We are talking with Brad Ford at Brew Crew Blue on Twitter. He is of uh, Brew Crew Ball. It is part one of our three-part series, breaking down all aspects of the minor league system. Let's jump ahead uh, to the next level and go to uh, the Helena Brewers. And, Brad, we'll start with one of my guys. I love K.J. Harrison. I loved it when the team drafted him. He uh, puts up pretty solid numbers there at Helena, 308 uh, hitter, 10 home runs, 33 RBIs, uh, 38 runs scored in 48 games. Uh, had a had an OPS at 934, which is darn good. I think that led the team. Yeah, I was second on the team, uh, but nonetheless, that's a that's a really solid OPS. Uh, are are you as high on him as I am? Uh, I'm not as high on him as you are, but I'm pretty close. Uh, he has a really good bat. The problem is um, context. Very, very important when judging short leaps. And in this case, K.J. Harrison, if he doesn't need to work on his position, which is a guy who played catcher in high school, then almost never played catcher when he went to college, only had a few games there, and comes into pro ball to be developed as a catcher, or at least for them to see what he can offer as a catcher, he's playing a level shorter than he should. His bat's very advanced, very powerful, but he should probably be at Wisconsin for bat development. However, like I said, he's being developed as a catcher, which is a position he doesn't have a lot of familiarity with. So instead, they put him at rookie league, and, you know, he dominates, which he should. He, I mean, I would have expected similar numbers from him in Wisconsin, where, again, you're talking about a younger crop of players who have a little bit more maturity, just because most of them have been in pro ball longer. But still as advanced a bat as he is coming out of college, he should have been able to dominate it. However, no matter how good your bat is and how advanced you are, hitting a 934 OPS and 10 home runs is still impressive in your first pro, in a half a season. So he's still a really good bat, and people should still be excited with him. I just always want to give people that little warning that you, you can't get too excited about the numbers yet. They're very real. They're exactly what he's capable of, but again, he's playing against lesser competition. The exciting part is if he works out a catcher and does those numbers, because you're talking about 
one of the best offensive catchers in the league if he can stick at the position. Right now, we've talked about him before. Um, catching, I've only seen a couple games from him, but you can already tell he's a little stiff. He's a big guy, like, in many ways. He's a little uh, bit of a thicker build and pretty tall. So he has a little trouble getting out of his pants right now and really getting to throw and then moving and adjusting to pitches that are thrown a little off the plate or bounce in the dirt. So I'm guessing this season they're really going to work on his flexibility. And once he has, again, these are got, he wouldn't need a season to develop if he was coming in playing first base, which was the position he played at college. But since he's coming in, he really needs that time to kind of relearn catching. And high school catchers take a long time to develop, because, and that's where his last defensive skill set was, his high school catching. So he has a lot to learn. There's a lot that doesn't translate over. Like high school, for the most part, coaches are calling the games. He needs to learn how to call games and to get that flexibility and mobility to really work behind the plate. Still, you should be very, very excited about him. But and I don't blame anyone for being more excited about him than I am. If if we're being really honest about it, though, the chances that he continues to move up the system as a catcher are that that's a slim chance, right? Yeah, I'm. There's a chance, not a good one. Okay. I mean, Clint Coulter couldn't do it. It was actually drafted as a catcher. It, it's not likely that KJ Harrison will. Uh, I'll look, disclaimer for everyone who just heard me mention Coulter: KJ Harrison is a much better bat coming out of college than Coulter was a bat coming into pro ball. So don't get scared because I mentioned their names together. I'm saying that someone who was already a catcher wasn't able to do it throughout the farm. So it's kind of like someone who took three years off being a catcher to come in and be a catcher and develop into a catcher with major leagues on his easily the hardest. Uh, Peyton Henry is a guy who played in 55 games this year at Helena. 242 hitter, didn't put up great numbers, uh, but I know some people out there are, are optimistic about what he's going to turn into. Yeah, and I'm one of those people. He really uh, started off the year kind of bad, hit low 200, but if you want to get excited about a catcher, he's my second favorite catcher in the league. He sheared the plate once A.J. Harrison came along, uh, had pretty natural behind the plate, um, can work on his throwing speed, not the most powerful arm, but he's getting there, and he's a kid who, once he started hitting towards the end of the month, he really um, kind of showed what his bat can become. He has good contact skills, probably can be a 15 to 20 home run hitter, and kind of is in that, uh, like, Lucroy mold of offense. Probably never a 300 hitter like Lucroy was, but he's someone who can definitely really, like, provide that off- her offensive spark. Um, and most of his home runs came in the first half, so he had, like, this cool streak, got hot, and then got cold again. <laughs> so, uh, but he really, like, just one of my favorite prospects, even though he hasn't done anything particularly special. He just, especially, he looks natural behind the plate, and for someone who's just 20 years old, that's it really hard to do. We just talked about how hard the catching position is to play. Um, So for him to look natural behind the plate and only get part-time playing behind it is something that people should really take note of. Um, And he really has a decent power stroke. It's just about 
making more contact and good contact with the ball to get that average up. But he has a good eye, and he's someone who I think will develop as probably the second best catcher in the system for a couple for a few years until one of them gets picked to be the everyday player. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about him in our next uh, conversation. Can I assume that you're making reference to Mario Feliciano as the first? Yes. Okay. And he's the best catcher in the system, hands down, in my opinion. We'll uh, we'll talk about him a little bit more next week. Uh, before we start talking, we were just chatting a little bit, and you brought up Nick Pierre's name. And I'll be honest, Pierre's a guy that wasn't on on my radar. Two eighty six hitter in fifty two games this year. Couple home runs, sixteen RBIs, twenty runs scored. His on base was okay at three thirty five. His slugging was nothing special at three sixty two. But you, you really pointed Nick Pierre out. Why? So he was one of the players that the Brewers signed, I believe, the year after Gilbert Lara. So he signed in twenty fourteen and um, took Lara a little bit to get up to the majors. So it was either the year before or the year after. He is, when he was signed, he was touted as being one of those guys who was really going to be a high average hitter, a pretty good speedster, and a good defensive outfielder. At 16, that was how they were advertising it. Up until now, you haven't really seen it. And he's played in lower league, so he's played in the Dominican Summer League and Arizona League, and never hit above 260. And especially, you know, didn't show any power or anything to call him out. However, this year, as you mentioned, he finally starts to get that power stroke going and, or that contact stroke going, sorry. And it's someone who you should become increasingly excited about because when you, when you initially read about him, like the way they described his tool set 16 was, this defensive wonderkin coming out of the Dominican who 16-year-olds coming out of the, or not the Dominican, but coming out of International League signing really don't get a lot of praise. They're, you know, oh, this kid has a good arm. Maybe he can beat something someday. But scouts were drooling over his defense then. Now that you actually see it coming together, which you're, as amazing whenever the Dominican Summer League players start to make the state, but he's getting better every year, too. He's just someone who can really turn into a special tool and special player in the system. Uh, he is a four-tool player, and power might develop with it. It's hard to tell if power is going to develop when a kid's only 18. Um, he did hit six homers in the Dominican Summer League. Pretty easy to hit homers. They're smaller parts, and it's just one of those warmer air situations where the ball really flies out. Um, but uh, when yeah, when he was signed, he was predicted to have 50 hit, 40 power, 50 run, 50 arm, 50 field, with potential of 60 for all of his defensive stats. So he's a guy who could really be, when they signed him, they really thought he could be something special. And now that you're starting to see it come along, is why I want people to start take note of his name and really pay attention. All right, last guy for you at Helena. Uh, Gilbert Lara, we can make this short. Safe to say that this guy so far has been uh, a, a disappointment? Yes, very much so. Um, a lot of my peers are going to tell you, you know, he's so young, give him time. But he was touted as just having miraculous power and being a guy who really didn't need to be in the Dominican Summer League, didn't really need that time to develop. And 
every time he's been challenged even a little bit, he's had nothing to show for. He's shown no power. Um, he's repeated levels now, and he can't make contact. He can't stay healthy. Well, now he's injured, so you didn't really get to see how he looked with a repeat of Helena. But he's just been nothing but disappointing since he got down there. Yes, that can get fixed. He's still young. He can, you know, he could something could suddenly click and he could get there. We've seen that many times throughout baseball. But at this point, he looks like a guy who it would be amazing if he made it above Wisconsin. Um, and that's really not what he was touted as when he was signed. Um, I mean, he was the Brewers' biggest international acquisition at all when the Brewers signed him in terms of bonus money and praise he got beforehand. <laughs> he hasn't hit more than three homers in a single season. And this was a guy who could have been a 30-home run hitter and was going to speed up third base. So he's been an absolute disappointment, and I don't blame any fan who feels like they're ready to bail on Gilbert Lara. All right, Brad, great stuff as always. Again, uh, folks can uh, follow you on Twitter at uh, Brew Crew Blue. Read you over at uh, Brew Crew Ball, um, BrewCrewBall.com. Follow Brew Crew Ball on uh, Twitter, uh, whatever you might do. Uh, appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll be back with you again uh, next week because we'll go through uh, both of the single A teams if that works for you. Absolutely, can't wait. That was part one of my conversation with Brad Ford. He will be back with us next week as we get into the full season teams, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers and the Carolina Mudcats. All right, here is what's coming up this week for the Brewers. They are off on Monday, and then they begin the final six. It will start with three games at home against the Cincinnati Reds. And uh, Zach Davies, Brandon Woodruff, and Brent Suter are the expected starters in those games uh, for the Brewers. Um, and as it sits right now, Deck McGuire, Homer Bailey, and Sal Romano will go for the Reds. That's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So Thursday is the final home game of the year for the Brewers. A note for you, that game is going to uh, start at 310 as uh, it is uh, a schedule change from the original schedules that went out. They're doing that to accommodate Thursday night football, which is featuring the Packers. Then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the final three games of the regular season uh, in St. Louis against the Cardinals. And who knows, based off how that Cincinnati series goes, especially maybe if the Brewers can come up with a three-game series sweep of Cincinnati, those three games in St. Louis could very well decide who's going to win that second wild card. A reminder for you, you can listen to Brewers games on 620 WTMJ. Now Thursday's game, the final home game of the year, uh, that is going to be over on 94.5 FM KTI Country for people listening in the Milwaukee area due to the uh, Packers Thursday night football game. But then the final three games of the regular season, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, those games will all be back on uh, WTMJ. On the games on WTMJ, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I hope you will join me for Brewers Extra Innings as soon as the network broadcast wraps up with Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering. I will be coming your way talking all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball, and I hope you can join me. If you uh, don't live in the Milwaukee area but you want to listen to that show, you can listen online at WTMJ.com on the WTMJ mobile app. The games are blacked out, so during the network broadcast, uh, you won't hear the show. But as soon as the network broadcast wraps up, the stream goes back live, and you can join me and love for you to do that. 
Once again, thanks to our guest, uh, Jack Moore and Brad Ford. Brad will be back with us next week to do our next round of our minor league uh, recap from this season. This has been Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.